Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable based on the New Testament book of Acts. Today we are back in chapter 11 of the book of Acts and while verse 19 follows verse 18, Dr. Luke actually is referring to a development that goes back towards chapter 7 and 8 um, after the stoning of Stephen, Stephen by an angry mob. Uh, chapter 8 begins with these words. It says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then the story in Acts 8 continues and says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So that's the actual context as we start today in chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. However, it's been three, maybe five years after that event uh, in Jerusalem. It says, Barnabas and Saul is in, are in Antioch. Beginning in verse 19, the word says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that the whole, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, as we begin this passage today, Dr. Luke has decided to record for our benefit the story of the church in, in Phoenicia. The ancient Phoenicians were a, a very distinct people. They lived along the Mediterranean in a stretch of land that went as far north as the northern tip of Lebanon and as far south as to the border of Israel. This land, by the way, was actually granted to the tribe of Asher. Uh, the principal cities are Tyre and Sidon. And the tribe of Asher was assigned the task of conquering this region like the other tribes had conquered much of the promised land. However, they disobeyed God as they found Tyre and Sidon well fortified. That's what it says in the book of Joshua. And they gave up. This area called Phoenicia at this time is Greek. And it's a mixture of an, a number of Gentile peoples. The, the ancient Semitic-speaking civilization of Phoenicia had, had pretty much disappeared in the second century BC. Uh, but for over 900 years, it had been a, a very strong commercial, uh, military, and economical and economic uh, uh, people. The Phoenicians were seafarers. 
and they were organized as city-states, then they would help defend each other against enemies. The Sidonians had a king who had a, name, a daughter named Jezebel, remember her? Who Ahab, who Ahab took as his wife back in the 9th century BC. Jezebel was the most wicked queen of Israel and she brought with her the pagan gods of Sidon, including Baal. The Phoenicians, along with being famous for being seafarers, and of course Jezebel, are also credited with inventing the modern alphabet. If you've been to Disney and Spaceship Earth, you're likely familiar with the phrase, if you can read this, thank the Phoenicians. At the time Luke is, is writing this account of these believers that have been scattered, they went up to Phoenicia and then on to Cyprus and Antioch, this area that, that's called Phoenicia in Greek. Alexander the Great had actually conquered this area uh, back about four centuries earlier. And actually the Sidonians surrendered to Alexander without a fight. This entire region of Phoenicia, including Sidon of course, became increasingly Hellenized, a word that's used meaning that it was the spreading of the, the Greek culture. Greek thinking, Greek culture, Greek language, um, and customs. And it remained that way. So when we think of the Roman Empire, so often we think of, of the city of Rome and Latin as the language, but actually much, if not all, of the eastern part of the Roman Empire was, was Greek. Uh, they, they were Greek in their culture and, and they spoke Greek as well. Often, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see that. Notice that verse 19 says that these earlier believers that were scattered ended up in Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch and they were preaching the word to no one uh, but to the Jews only. You know, this is an important reference as it does not only show that this continued religious bigotry, this, this attitude of the Jews in general and the Pharisees in particular that the early church had, and this was going on for, for years after Pentecost. We're probably five, six, seven years after Pentecost at this time. This passage also indicates that at this time these scattered believers to the north had not heard of the conversion of Cornelius in the events that Peter described to the apostles that were gathered in Jerusalem that we read of just, uh, just last week, uh, verses 1 through 18 of the same chapter 11. Now it could also be that Dr. Luke has adjusted the timeline. He wanted to finish the story of Peter and Joppa and now goes back to telling the story of what happened when, in Antioch with Barnabas and Paul. Verse 20 continues and says, Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, these are unnamed disciples, and I love that. With regard to the Bible and our story of the unstoppable church, all of us are unnamed disciples. These are likely second-generation Christians, uh, disciple, or Christian second-generation disciples, meaning the, those that were present in Pentecost for the Feast of Pentecost, uh, in Jerusalem for Pentecost, uh, and were present there when the Holy Spirit descended. And they were of the 3,000 that were saved that day, uh, ended up traveling back into these northern regions and then shared the gospel with others. Or it could be that these same Greek-speaking Jews were actually in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Another important note, while we said 
that we there's been a there's been a bias at this time to preach the gospel to the Jews only, and likely this men had not heard of the account between Peter and Cornelius. Verse 20 is making the point that these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, these new disciples, are, are literally heroes, heroes of the faith. They were the ones that independently became uh, began preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, they're called Hellenists here, but the, 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 the warning is such that these are, these are Gentiles. These are not Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, these, are, these are Gentiles. And we're seeing that Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. And it started in no other place but, but Antioch. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and, and turned to the Lord. That phrase, the hand of the Lord in the Bible is repeated often and it always refers to power. For example, in Psalm 118, King David writes how all the nations surrounded him. They, they swarmed around him like bees. In verse 15, he says, shouts of, but the joy and the salvation resound in the tents of the righteous for the right hand of the Lord performs the valor and the right hand of the Lord is exalted. And because God was with them, these, these, these uh, Hellenists, because God was with them, their, their ministry was blessed and multiplied. And the result was a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, last week we, we mentioned the story of, of, of Peter and Cornelius. And we mentioned that it was important because we saw that it was all about God. Well, other than this brief mention by Dr. Luke that the hand of the Lord was on them, we could say that this looks like the work of, of eager evangelists. But you see, that would, be, that would be foolish thinking. Success in ministry, success in seeing people come to Christ, see, success in seeing the growth of a church or people coming to the Lord is always a result of the Lord through the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a little bit about this, the city of Antioch. You likely remember the reference that it was in Antioch that uh, the believers were first called Christians. And, and that's the passage we read today. Now Antioch is a relatively new city, a new city of antiquity. It was founded around 300 um, BC by Seleucus I. Seleucus I was one of the generals of Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great passed on at a very young age, the empire was divided into three areas, his three main generals, and Seleucus took this area, this, this uh, Asia Minor. He named the city after his father Antioch, uh, but that wasn't the first time he named the city Antioch. He had named over a dozen more. This city called Syrian Antioch, the, the Antioch we're talking about today, eventually rivaled Alexandria. Uh, the, as the chief city of the Near East. In the first century, this, the time of this writing, the city was likely had more than a half a million people. And that's a lot of people for a, a, a city back at that time. What was a very rich city, a very prosperous city, known for its arts and theater, it was also very pagan, very hedonistic, very self-indulgent. In the middle of the city was a great temple that was dedicated to Apollo, the Greek god, and also a large garden park dedicated to the goddess Daphne. Uh, the, this park was 10 miles in circumference, and it was populated by, by prostitutes. According to Greek mythology, Apollo was in love with Daphne, uh, but Daphne wanted nothing to do with Apollo. 
So Zeus turned her into a, a laurel, uh, an evergreen. Uh, there's, there was also a temple, in, um, a temple um, to Artemis, the daughter of Zeus and a sister of Apollo. In Antioch, the worship of Artemis, Apollo, and Daphne included uh, what's called ritual prostitution. Antioch at this time was, was morally bankrupt. Many consider Syrian Antioch the third greatest city um, in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria. Antioch was known for its business, its culture, its sophistication, um, and its commerce, but also for its immorality. Of the three great ancient cities, Rome uh, was known for its power. Uh, Alexandria, Alexandria, with its library, was all about the intellect. And Antioch was about business and, of course, immorality. It's in this nest of, of immorality, prostitution, hedonism, that God is going to do an amazing work. See, that's, that's our God. These unnamed individuals from Cyprus and Cyrene, they, they spoke to the Hellenists and they, they preached Jesus to them. The text says that these Hellenists, these Greeks, had been so morally, that had been so morally bankrupt, believed on the Lord. This is, a, this is a believe in the Lord and then turn to the Lord. And, and I love that last part. That's a, a great description of what happens when a person hears the gospel. They, they believe and then they turn to the Lord. They, they do a sudden about, a sudden about face. They, they're facing one way and now they're facing another way. They turn to the Lord. This indicates that the initial faith was met with repentance that leads to life. This is exactly what the apostles said after Peter defended his ministry and talked about how the Holy Spirit had come upon Cornelius and his family in the same way that it had come upon the 120 the day upon Pentecost. Verse 18 in the section just prior to our reading today says this about what the apostles said. It says, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles, here's the word, repentance to life. Repentance to life is exactly what is meant when Dr. Luke writes that they believed and they turned to the Lord. Let's continue. In verse 22, we read that this good news traveled to Jerusalem. And then they sent Barnabas, and Barnabas travels to Antioch. And the scriptures say, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. This is not the first time we've seen Barnabas, this, this mighty man of God. Barnabas, in fact, wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname that the disciples gave him. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Uh, also, uh, in that, that same place, this is back in Acts 4, Barnabas was one that sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then we see Barnabas in Acts 9, and after Paul's dramatic conversion, uh, Barnabas was one that stood up and vouched for Paul, a, a true act of courage when the rest of them were very wary to come anywhere near Saul, also named Paul, because of how he had been persecuting the church. So Barnabas is called upon by the, the church leaders to go to Antioch. They believe he's the right man for the job as he's an encourager. And it says, it says when he got there, he himself was encouraged when he saw the grace of God and the number of, of new believers. 
the, the scriptures say that Barnabas encouraged them that with all purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. I, I love that phrase, continue with the Lord, because that's exactly what we need to do uh, when we have new believers in our churches. We need to tell them to continue on, keep on going, don't stop, don't look back, don't slow down, just keep on keeping on. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes about the work of the Lord. He says, and it was he who gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some to be evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And then it says this, to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. You see, what Barnabas is doing is he's equipping the saints. He's building them up. He's telling them by the purpose, he's telling them to purpose in their hearts to continue. He did this by encouraging them, by, by preaching the gospel, by adding to their knowledge of the Lord. This is organic, and this is exactly the way churches grow. I, you know, I've been in small churches, and I've been in large churches, and, and the one thing I see in our churches is that when somebody makes a decision for the Lord, uh, we don't give them a diploma to hang on the wall. We hand them a Bible and we tell them to, to read it, to keep on going, be encouraged, keep on going, don't stop. And Barnabas isn't done. He knows there's so much more to do, but he needs help. You know, again, I, I told you I, I've been in a small church and a big church, and you know what the difference between a church of 100 and a church of 25,000? In a church of 25,000, you need more people, you need more staff. Uh, we, we hired staff when we got to be 25,000, and that's exactly what Barnabas is doing. He, he knows he can't do this on his own, so he goes to find his friend Saul. You know, as it says, as a result of his work, the, uh, work, there was a great many people that were added to the Lord. Verse 25 says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, Barnabas remembered Brother Saul. Saul, who had been sent to Tarsus for his own protection uh, when the Jews tried to kill him in Jerusalem. But Barnabas went to go find him. Now, these words, to seek Saul, is more literally translated, he hunted him down. Um, Barnabas had to do some looking. John MacArthur uh, suggests that Saul was so valuable to Barnabas at a time when the church was growing quickly and Barnabas was exhausted trying to keep up with the demands of the ministry. So he pushed pause. He, he left the, his work in Antioch for a season and went to Tarsus to find Paul, also known as Saul, uh, and to return back to Antioch to continue the work. So Barnabas returns with Saul, and the scriptures say, so it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Together, Paul and Barnabas taught a great many people, making the church of Antioch strong. And we'll end this section with a few remarks related to what the scriptures say, that in the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, that's not the first name we have for these believers, these members of the body of Christ. Initially, they were called disciples. 
And then we see in Acts chapter 9, they're called saints, they're called believers, uh, they're called brothers, they're called witnesses. Uh, in Acts 9, they're called followers of the way, but now they're also called Christians. Now, in, in Antioch, uh, this name Christians, meaning little Christ ones or little Jesus ones, um, is, was probably originally a, a derogatory term. It, it was designed to mock the followers of Jesus. One of the commentators on this, on this book of Acts said, Antioch was famous for its readiness to jeer and call names. It was known by its witty epigrams. Uh, but the people of Antioch called the followers of Jesus the Jesus people. Uh, the believers liked that term, and it stuck. You know, we have many names today for our, our churches, our organizations, our denominations. Uh, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Roman Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, Presbyterians. Before you embrace any of these other names, be sure that you embrace the name Christian uh, and become a, a totally devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Like these believers in Antioch, we should be first called Christians. Let's finish up today's lesson with these verses about sending relief to Judea during the famine. Verse 27 says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, we don't know much about Agabus, who showed this by the Spirit about a famine, and exactly what he did or how he demonstrated that. But the believers in Antioch took the prophecy seriously, and they gave generously to meet the coming need. The scriptures say that they gave each according to their ability. You know, giving is a, is a very important part, very important part of the life of a Christian. The life of a believer should be marked by generosity. Genuine generosity should be systematic and it should be regular. In 1 Corinthians, for example, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, on the first day of, the, of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. This shows us that we're to give regularly and systematically and proportionally. Now, proportional giving is similar to the tithe. The tithe was 10%. However, the, tenth, the tithe was a, a straight 10%. New Testament proportionality could be greater because as people have more, they have the ability to, to give more. New Testament generosity could easily mean more than 10%, a sum in keeping with your income. Now, a few years after this event, both Paul and Barnabas will travel to Rome to report of the great success of the ministry. It's called the Jerusalem Council. It's in a couple of places in the Bible. It was again another discussion regarding the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 2 of this meeting, and this is what Paul says. He says, in recognizing the grace that I, that I had been given, James, Cephas, and John, those reported to be the pillars, gave me and Barnabas, these same two guys, 
the right hand of fellowship so that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Isn't that interesting in this, this passage out of, out of uh, Galatians? Uh, they're talking about the same thing. Again, the circumcised and the uncircumcised as well as, as generosity. The, the willingness of Christians to be able to, to give to the poor, to be able to take care of those people that are less fortunate. Now, during the reign of, of Emperor Claudius from 41 to 54 AD, the Roman Empire, known for his conquest of England, we have some outside sources, sources outside of the Bible, that also illustrate this, this famine that's spoken of in this 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Historians Josephus wrote in Antiquities chapter 20, it says of Herod, the brother of Agrippa, who asked Claudius Caesar for control over the empire along with the, the sacred treasury and the ability to choose the high priest. Remember, Josephus is centered in Jerusalem. But then he writes, he says, around this time lived Queen Helena of Assyria, who began to follow the Jewish way, turning away from their past lifestyle. Her arrival was of great help to the masses in Jerusalem, for there was a famine in the land that overtook them, and many people died of, of starvation. You know, Dr. Luke, the author of the Acts of the Apostles, is, is quite a historian, um, referencing the fact here in this scripture of the, of the famine that took place under Emperor Claudius. It's been it was verified to happen, and Dr. Luke includes it as well. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 11 of the Acts of the Apostles. We continue to see that the church is truly unstoppable. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. As we, can, we finish up this chapter 11, we see again that the hand... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.